There's something strange on Search for Truth Radio this week. The title of today's talk will give us a clue why, because it's called God's Strange Work of Judgment. Once again, we're with your Bible teacher Brian Johnston, and I remind you that this series is called Our God Reigns, the Awesome Sovereignty of God. The question of why the sovereign God allows suffering and injustice to continue in the world today will arise in Brian's talk, and we'll learn more from the scriptures about the character and nature of God himself. This is, of course, something ultimately beyond our understanding, but quite a challenge nevertheless. So let's go to Brian now for God's strange work of judgment. Thanks, John. The King James Version of the Bible describes certain actions by God as being his strange work. At Perazim, the Lord accomplished a great victory for Israel in the days of David. At Gibeon, the Lord accomplished a great victory for Israel in the days of Joshua. In those cases, the Lord fought for Israel. But if our leaders did not repent, they would soon find the Lord fighting against Israel. This use of God's strength against his people is, as the King James Version puts it, God's strange work. This is how another version puts it in Isaiah 28 and verse 21. For the Lord will rise up as at Mount Parazim. He will be stirred up as in the valley of Gibeon to do his task, his unusual task, and to work his work, his extraordinary work. The strangeness of God's judgment against his own people was something the prophet Habakkuk struggled to understand or to get his head around, as we might say. The prophet Habakkuk's complaint to God initially was about the lawless state of his fellow countrymen, the Jews. It seemed then, to him at least, that law and order, even God's law, in society around him had broken down. And so he prayed like this to God, Habakkuk 1 verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. These words could have been written today, but they were written two and a half thousand years ago by a Bible prophet. It's been said, you know, that no other single issue keeps more people from God or troubles them in the relationship with God than the issue of suffering and injustice. Habakkuk, too, wondered why God allowed this to continue. He looked around the kingdom of Judah and cried out to God about the injustice and evil that he saw everywhere. But no way was he prepared for God's response to his prayer. For God's answer to Habakkuk was, Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. God answered Habakkuk, but it wasn't the response Habakkuk expected, nor even wanted to hear. In fact, it caused him to be even more confused. 
For God declares that he was raising up the Chaldeans, a fierce, cruel people, to execute judgment on Judah for their internal social injustice. That gave Habakkuk a bigger problem. He now struggled with how God could use those wicked oppressors to deal with the problems among his own people. And so Habakkuk's reaction to this was to say back to God, You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favour. Why do you look with favour on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? In other words, he cried out to God again, asking how God could use one evil to correct another, as he saw it, lesser evil. Why are you silent, he said, while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? And God responded a second time, declaring that he would bring all evil to account and settle every score. It might take longer than Habakkuk hoped, but God's justice would come decisively at the right time. Until then, he called on Habakkuk to trust him with the famous words, the righteous person will live by his or her faith. Habakkuk questioned God's actions, but he accepted God's answer. Sceptical attitudes today lead people to go even further. Some even presume they can make better choices than God when they dare to play at being God. In a question and answer session once, Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias answered an inquirer by saying, can I ask you a question? On every university campus that I visit, somebody stands up and says that God is an evil God to allow all this evil into our world. This person typically says, a plane crashes, 30 people die and 20 people live. What kind of a God would arbitrarily choose some to live and some to die? I continued, but when we play God and determine whether a child within a mother's womb should live, we argue for that as a moral right. So when human beings are given the privilege of playing God, it's called a moral right. When God plays God, we call it an immoral act. Can you justify this for me? That was the end of the conversation. He then commented further, does that not sound odd to you? When God decides who should live or die, he is immoral. When you decide who should live or die, it's your moral right. There was a pin drop silence. And others today go even further. C.S. Lewis used to object to God's existence for this same reason, that reason being all the evil in the world. But then he realised something that many today have never wrestled with. How do I know things are evil or bad? His conclusion was that in order to be able to recognise evil, he must have some standard of good against which he measures everything else. To use his illustration, one cannot recognise a crooked line unless he first has some concept of a straight one. But if there is no God, the very objection to evil loses its force. For if the universe is nothing but the result of random chance, then evil could never be recognised as such. But returning to Habakkuk and his shocked reaction to God's chosen instrument of judgment, remember, 
God had been explaining that he was going to use Israel's notoriously cruel and proud enemies, the Babylonians, to judge his own people Israel. That led us to comment that God avenges wrongs and restores justice at times in strange ways. But who are we to criticise? God is sovereign. In the writings of the prophet Isaiah, I've been impressed all over again with its testimony to the sovereignty of God. Some statements repeat again and again, such as, who is like God? Besides him, there is no God. He is the Lord. There is no other. These statements teach us that God is sovereign, even if we don't understand how that works. Christians rely on the sovereignty of God to make prayer effective and to guarantee the success of evangelism. Only atheists can seriously claim not to believe in the sovereignty of God, because if God isn't sovereign, then he's not God. As shocking as it was for Habakkuk to learn that the Babylonians would be God's instrument to judge, imagine the horror his fellow Israelites would have felt when the prophet Isaiah announced that God's chosen instrument to restore their fortunes after they'd been judged was another foreigner. As God promised to Habakkuk, the Babylonians in turn would be judged for their great wickedness. In his sovereignty, God was going to raise up the Persian Empire to put an end to Babylonian rule. Yes, a pagan messiah in the shape of the Persian emperor Cyrus would capture the city of Babylon and free the Israelite people to return home to their land. Here's how Isaiah put it in chapter 45 and verse 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, whom I have taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name. I have given you a title of honour, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me. That's what God said to Cyrus, the Persian emperor. Then he goes on to say, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Or the thing you are making say, He has no hands? Notice that last verse about those quarrelling with their maker. Surely it's describing Jewish objections against the fact that God should choose and use a pagan king to be the one to ensure their safe passage back to Jerusalem. And it's too much that God should call this pagan his anointed. This has to qualify as a strange work. After all, this is the same word Messiah used of the coming king who would belong to David's dynasty. Perhaps it's a natural reaction to reject what we don't understand. Dylan, the Nobel Prize winner for literature, inserted among his lyrical memory of the Titanic these words, There is no understanding for the judgment of God's hand. It is safe to remember God's counsel through Isaiah. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? God is the potter and we are the clay. Nothing that happens is free from the sovereignty of God. There is no injustice with God. Ascribe greatness to our God. His work is perfect. 
All his ways are just. So says Deuteronomy 32 and verse 4. Judgment may seem strange to us, but we can be assured it is perfect and just. I remind you each time that these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book and here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book just write in and ask for the title Our God Reigns. You can use email or the post and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sfd at churchesofgod.info. Well, time's almost gone, but thank you so much for the pleasure of your company today. I hope you'll join us next time for study number eight in our series on the awesome sovereignty of God. It's going to be about the anointing of a pagan messiah named Cyrus. Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, was the means by whom God brought about the end of the Jews' captivity by Babylonia and began the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. So, I hope that's whetted your appetite for what promises to be another fascinating Bible study session. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher, Brian, our producer, David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon. And in the meantime, may God richly bless you.